Okay, so we're on episode four of Design Company podcast. My brother Mohammed, welcome once again. Good to be here. Looking forward. And unfortunately, today we are coming in a lot more critical circumstances in many respects because right now we're having a global pandemic with the coronavirus, which even up until two weeks ago people were joking about, as in, look at these uh, stupid people. rushing out buying toilet paper and hand sanitizer and you know i just had my wife you know come in and say well basically in the supermarkets in uk everyone is panic buying and pretty much every supermarket is more or less empty uh on the shelves of pretty much all the products there's no meat there's no pasta there's no basically any product is more or less gone certainly all the uh, medicines, the supplies, and so on. And so people are starting to realize a lot more that the lifestyle that we were living uh, in regular times, in the healthy times, isn't really that sustainable as soon as circumstances change in the external world. And so what I want to really talk about today is about the notion of real sustainability, which is the idea that I've been talking about and we've been talking about for a long, long time, which is around basically making the most of the circumstances, but at the same time, really always keeping shrewd and being as optimal as possible. So absolutely reducing waste down to a minimum and absolutely looking to explore all opportunities that's kind of the framing of this episode and that's what i'm seeing that more more and more pretty much like the entire humanity is going to have to start learning about quite rapidly whereas what we've been doing is not just learning about it but putting it into practice and creating toolkits and frameworks for people to rapidly understand this and also rapidly be able to put it into practice in a non-philosophical way, right? Not, none of this kind of complexity and it requires an MBA or it requires some sort of like 12-month uh, pr- process to learn it. It's like you can utilize these frameworks right now. A 12-year-old can understand it. And if a 12-year-old can understand it, uh, a, an average adult ought to be able to put it into practice and and improve their lives no matter what their circumstances are right now that's my kind of framing what's the first thing that comes to your mind um i appreciate that i mean well, one thing that's dear to me and sort of in line with what you just raised is what's really cool about this time that we're living in although there are people who are passing away unfortunately other people who are suffering is what you've seen is people suddenly being totally unplugged from their ongoing concerns, lifestyle habits. Um, you know, I mean, in France now we have the confinement, it's happening in other European countries as well. And so one thing in particular that will interest me what we're talking about today is how do we using this time to reassess how we normally live our lives, but also um, how can we assess our assessment of how we deal with this situation? So when we see people or companies taking certain decisions, um, what, what, what is the thought backing that decision? Because as you know, crisis brings out the best and the worst in the people. And what can we learn from that? And what can we seek to learn and change on an ongoing basis? Yes. And so uh, one of the phrases that I've coined is 
uh, goes something like expect the worst, prepare the best, uh, which is effectively in some senses, we're certainly getting that worst thing. Uh, but the, the preparation has not been as good and, and it has not been as good largely because you actually realize that majority people, majority of people don't actually know what it means to prepare the best. They don't want to expect the worst because they just think in their minds that it's impossible to happen. Whereas, you know, I, w- I watch the news from around the world. So I watch the news from Serbia, from Croatia, from Bosnia, uh, you know, UK, Canada, US, and so on. And like countries around the world are moving in some cases to martial law. Now, I was talking to someone on the phone two weeks ago. Uh, you know, it could be the case that, uh, you know, if the government doesn't get the way they want to have things uh, you know, happen, which we somewhat covered in our previous episodes around ethics and laws and rules and so on, they will unpop the rules to the point where they will bring in uh, you know, military and enforce the rules, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's happening in Serbia because they've asked in the public media, they've asked the pensioners and all the people to not come out into the shops and the pensioners in Serbia just kind of like, I don't believe in the virus. I'm fine. I'll be fine. I need to get my whatever sanitary towels. And, you know, they're just basically spreading the disease and, uh, and they just basically brought in the martial law. Uh, and, and then in some cases, they're saying to people that who breaks the rules will end up three years in prison and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the point is that that's the worst kind of that can happen. You basically, there's not, nothing more worse than war, really. Uh, but then if you think about the business circumstances as being the war at all times, what that means, and I've lived through three years of war in Bosnia. So what that ends up meaning is that in many respects, like it's, it becomes a lot more about each person is a self-sovereign. And what that means is that you have to take responsibility for yourself. And this leads into what you were saying about how can each individual self-assess, firstly, as a unit, which is an army term. It's like your combat unit. Okay. So how can you self-assess and ensure that you are using the least amount of resources to do the best work you can. That's first principle. And then the second principle is how do you scale that up infinitely without losing any overheads, right? Or maybe doing it even more uh, effectively because Uh the idea being that together we're stronger, okay? And in the Western world and in even like worldwide, that notion and that built-in first principles optimized way of living life seems to have fizzled out. And now what you're seeing is a lot of people kind of getting massive shock from realizing that they don't even know how to wash their backsides should it come to that. And we've come to a situation where because of that, toilet paper is more valuable than money <laughs> uh, because of also the uh, various kind of financial uh, quantitative easing situations. But all the things start becoming so predominantly front of the thinking. What's my purpose? What's my company's purpose? 
who am I, what am I doing? Who am I working with? How, how am I working systemically? How's my system working? What can I cut out that's not required? Uh, how can I streamline? What innovative thing do I offer? And it's no longer some sort of fluffy, um, nebulous vanity thing. It's actually real business thing, real innovation, which I've been harping on about for a decade now. And people just didn't seem to hear, you know, and it's so like in some, on some level, it breaks my heart that people are having to realize this now through a worldwide pandemic. That's what it took. And then what products are really necessary and what can we live without? Okay. Uh -huh. Eventually people realize they can actually totally live without toilet paper. <laughs> uh, and then how does the money work in those circumstances? What's a real money uh, making opportunity and sustainable make opportunity and how you can grow from first principles while maintaining that optimized system and so on. These are oh. the kind of, that is the designed company in a nutshell, irrespective of what the circumstances are out there. And that is the ethos and the point of that expect the worst, prepare the best. Well, I think that's what we discussed in our, in our first podcast, you know, which is at the end of the day, it's all about figuring out the truth. And so what's really good with these crisis times is that people can actually take a step back and ask those important questions. And I think that, you know, after that intro, that tells nicely to our first theme of purpose. Um, so many of us, you know, running around every day to our jobs, to our meetings, whatever. And so in that respect, I think this is a really great time to just step back and saying, okay, uh, why am I doing that thing? You know, why... Why am I going about all day doing all this stuff? Um, and so I think it's actually a really good opportunity because we do criticize, you know, our modern society for being very narcissistic, Instagram generation, etc. I think even the more enlightened among us uh, at times can forget our peers. And so this is a really good time to just take a step back and say, okay, you know, am I doing as much as I could? And also, what am I doing for others? I mean, you know, all these confinement measures are the most basic uh, way of people being conscious of other people and conscious of the fact that their irresponsibility can have negative actions on third parties. Totally. And what, um, what happens is that like in my mind, the like spending three years of war in Bosnia, like taught me the fact that in, on some level there is a war happening at all times, right? Like a war or, on some level or the chaos sometimes is described in, in sort of like phys physical theories and so on. Uh, that chaos is always going on. It's just that sometimes we get um, essentially deluded in the notion that, that the things are actually really well uh, organized. And, and, you know, you and I working on design company and so on, at the software, the methodology, the framework and so on, how much thought experiments have we run through this and tested it in different circumstances, right? To kind of go like to, to actually understand, hold on a second, maybe we haven't tried this in the like the worst of scenarios, right? Maybe it breaks when it's like real pandemonium. And now we're having the real pandemonium and it's like, this is the most relevant thing ever, which is what we've been saying, but people haven't really listened to because they're like, oh, everything's fine. I can just press a button and my food comes. And it's like, no, you don't press a button and food comes when everyone's quarantined. What well, that, that is the most hilarious thing in here in France, you know, uh, people having to do a bunch of stuff to go to the store, but they can still get delivery again. 
Uh, I think if we're talking about purpose, maybe having leaders be more purposeful in their response and figuring things out, but that is a separate matter. Um, yeah, I mean, so in purpose, you know, what, what would you say should be our purpose in dealing with this, with this pandemic, you know? Well, purpose really is, um, is even like a secondary thing to plan it. Yeah, mm. I, I, I drew this uh, one um, uh, diagram that, uh, that there is family coming through. Uh, so you know, before you can even take care of your family, you, you actually got to realize that we're all living on the same planet and that planet is feeding us and providing, providing us nourishment, energy, and, and sustainability, really, with, because without the planet, we're not there. Then comes the purpose, then come people. Why? Because you realize that unless you are living with a purpose of actually maintaining your life in a sustainable way that's in line with the planet, you can't actually sustain yourself. That's why purpose oh. comes before people. Uh, but a lot of the companies have said like, oh, we really care of our people. Sure, but that's still like a third principle because planet and purpose come before that because without the planet, you won't have the people. Well, I mean, if you're taking that example far enough, you'd say that often their, their pyramid is inverted. So they say they're taking care of people, but they're actually the slaves of the systems dictated by money, which is only here to really show fake growth to investors on the S1 report for publicly traded companies. Uh, that's totally. the extent to which it is. So yeah. I think it is about flipping the polarity, basically. That is what it's totally. about. Now is the time so, of fear. Exactly. That's like five Ps. You've got the five Ps, which is so usually it's worked like this. Profits, products, people, purpose, planet. Now we're flipping that exactly the other way around, which is planet, purpose, people, products, profits. And that is the integral strategy uh, that I've been talking about in literally public uh, speaking sessions, you know, and people have been looking at it uh, as, a, as a kind of, or listening to it as some sort of nebulous kind of far-fetched uh, thing, right? That, that I'm kind of uh, fantasizing about. And now it becomes the most real, immediate yeah, thing. Thing now. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. I mean, so it, if, if we move on to like the people then, because, you know, with purpose, I think I just said it's about operating with clarity and using this time of crisis to take a step back. Um, in terms of people, I, you know, I would then say one of my first ideas would be, again, our relationship to others, you know. So I think we are living very much in our own heads and using this time to be more conscious about you know, spending more time with our families if we're living with them and confined, if not. Um, but just really kind of taking a step out of, of our whole busy lives where we're on the phone, sending emails, coding, doing calls, whatever, and just reconnecting with people that actually have meaning in our lives that we're not just here on a transactional basis is key. Um, I mean, what other aspects of people do you see uh, within these times that we're living through? Well, I mean, the other aspects of, of people is to actually uh, purposefully connect mm. again with others on, on things that are actually sustainable and that are not, you know, temporal uh, relationships that are really what's prevailed on things like Instagram and, and so on. It's very surface, mm. short and snappy okay i mean even we've got the services like snapchat you know surface short and snappy versus uh versus um 
you know, things that are actually deep, uh, purposeful, and long-term, sustainable, okay? So the polarity is very much shifting, and then all the things that we've been practicing as our real business ethos, practice, approach, and so on, are now becoming, it's either you do it this way, or you actually will be not comp competitive, not really compatible with what is emerging. Makes sense. I mean, so really, what you say, again, it comes back to universal principles, you know? So instead of just like, I mean, usually where a lot of people are running around like headless chickens between their job, their wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and third-party responsibilities, this crisis can also just be another reason for people just to continue running around. But actually, they can also just take a step back and say, what is really important with my life? And take that long-term view. I mean, yes, there is a 0.1% risk they might die in two weeks. But barring that, taking that long-term view and stretching things out. Um, and I think that, you know, tells nicely into the systems because you said something very interesting earlier when you referred to our um, previous discussion about ethics and responsibility. What we're seeing here, especially in France, is a perfect demonstration of the fact that you, you have to put people before systems but in order to do that, you also actually need people that are responsible for themselves. So um, Saturday night, the uh, French government announced that all bars, restaurants were closing until further notice at midnight. What happened on the Sunday? Bunch of French people walking around Paris. I mean, Paris is, France is not just Paris, but for this uh, particular example, walking around Paris, stuck next to each other in parks, lovely propagating the virus. And so the, the government had to clamp down way harder uh, on the Monday in terms of fines and um, an official restriction. And so, you know, I think here systems are good, but we should never forget that systems are the lowest common denominator. And, you know, in times of crisis, they can kind of work if people are going to panic and they're going to, you know, go out of the way that might not be of service to others. But um, I still think we should be, like, we should be respectful of them. So we should understand this confinement is there and there are some maybe repressive rules in place to protect against that. But obviously, we don't want that becoming the norm, you know. And ideally, we'd live in a world where people are responsible enough uh, not to go around flouting the rules, uh, a number of whom I've already seen. So what, what you're talking about, if I was to explain it in a different way, <coughs> is to, that, that basically what's happened is that many people have outsourced their agency to the mm. system. Very good and, expression. And they've, they've, uh, they're, they're expecting the system to take care of them, but they are not willing or responsible enough to take care of themselves. And that's why, again, the design company, I sort of like discovered this by, by almost like by fluke, because you realize that when, the, when a method works for something, it usually kind of lends itself towards something else as well. So mm -hmm. design company works on an individual level. So it goes to the, the individual person is responsible for their own purpose, self, the system, how they lead their lives, how they renovate and, 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 and produce and um, monetize and, and grow. Uh, so instead of outsourcing that agency to the system, we ought to have that agency with ourselves and be self-sovereign to then uh, contribute to the system in a way that is symbiotic, 
right? Mm -hmm. So that even if the system breaks down, we can go back to the quote unquote caveman style living that is still sustainable. Okay. And in some sense that caveman style, uh, sort of, uh, uh, roaming nomadic kind of lifestyle in a true sense without the laptops, not digital nomadic, but real nomad. It's like, can you pitch up anywhere with a little tent and maybe like a sandwich or some sort of bread piece or something and survive. Mm. And really, if you can't, then you're not really self-sustainable on an individual level. Uh, and, and that's a kind of level of shock and awe that many people around the world are going to start experiencing. And I don't mean that in a sort of threatening way, but like, or shock, or like a scaremongering way. I'm just saying that too many people it will be that now that they have less money, they'll have to roll back to using less products, to exploring less things, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not going to go to another cinema trip or another concert or another, you know, all these kind of things. And they realize systemically they're going to have to sort of settle down a lot more and then they're going to have to be with themselves. Then they realize, oh my God, I hate myself. And then, on purpose, they're going to have to deal with themselves to actually be able to re-emerge. And this is a sort of hero's journey that, that many people have to go through to look into themselves really and deal with themselves to be able to re-emerge a better person to then rebuild the system and help rebuild the system in a more sustainable way using a framework and a methodology and a model like uh, um, designed company that is sustainable ventures framework i mean yeah what, what you said pretty much yeah is, is a very good expression of it um i was definitely thinking systematically but right systems apply personally um there is that saying you are the sum of your habits essentially um and so in that respect i think a lot of people have become ensconced in their habits and having this huge shake-up is actually an opportunity to question those habits so yeah yeah i think a book has been written called something like you are what you do right mm. but but what people are going to be doing now is suddenly going to be very different right so when 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 people have identified self-identified with let's say what do i do well i'm a snapchat influencer or i'm on instagram or i blog or i you know i don't know sort of vanity things like this which in some sense may become actually a lot more valuable in some in some sense uh you know if if you've overly identified with those things that are no longer sustainable in any way shape or form you're actually suddenly going to have to be refaced with that uh check-in right i'm going like if i'm what i do and let's say i travel around the world a lot okay and all the airlines have gone bust suddenly you're no longer a traveler. So like, where oh. are you living? Where are you taking your Instagrams at? Which is maybe a single place of, uh, you know, <laughs> habit, ha habit inhabiting, right? And how, how beautiful is your base where you're staying, right? And how well is your garden uh, organized and so on, right? So t talking about systems, actually, what you're talking here raises for me the subject of awareness. Um, and actually, one thing that we're often not aware about, you know, when you and I go about our daily lives, 
And we, we very rarely stop to think about all the other people around us that exist and are making the world go round in their own way. And so one thing that's been particularly interesting to me has been the healthcare system, you know? I mean, you know, you're, you're in the UK, I'm in France, we live in, you know, what we call first world economies that are super developed. Never in our right minds would we consider a situation where we, there's going to be a triage at the hospital and the hospital mm-hmm. can potentially not take mm-hmm. care of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that respect, this is more of a common, but I, I think just having a gratitude for what we have and a bigger awareness and not taking that for granted is something huge in these particular times. So, so I mean, this is, you know, you, you say it's kind of like a side comment, but think about this, right? If, if we were to play this as a systems thinking thing, we knew before any of this hit, right, that there, there, there's some, some uh, you know, stats showing that about 40, up to 40% of people, that's 4-0 in UK, suffer either from ongoing or temporary dips of clinical depression or depression. Yeah, uh-huh. from, from sort of little bits of depressive states to clinical depression to depression to like really chronic depression. Okay? Uh-huh. Now imagine a lot of those people are on antidepressants because it was just kind of like an easy thing. It was like an accessible, quick sort of solution to dealing with themselves okay? in a non-purposeful way from kind of outside in. Uh-huh. Now suddenly you have a situation where those antidepressants are not prescribable anymore for whatever reason because the, the, the health system is imploding and those people can't get the antidepressants. How are they going to deal with themselves? And the answer is they're going to have to deal with themselves in real terms, like a caveman dealt with his own cave, right? Mm. And it's like the caveman wasn't thinking, oh my God, I got to Airbnb myself to Davos for a weekend right? Because I'm sick and tired of this cave. The caveman started treating the cave as an art gallery. I mean, I I would make a slight counterpoint, which is I do understand that, you know, occasionally some people might need, you know, an antidepressant to go through a difficult phase in their life. But definitely, like, once it becomes something that's like chronic that you're doing for 5, 10, 15 years, that's where the issue is for me. Um, Because we do live in a society still that's very mental and construct based. So if you, you know, I think it's very important to have that stable mental foundation. Mental health is huge. And, you know, the caveman could survive even if he was a bit crazy. He might kill a couple more saber-toothed tigers. Uh, but in our world, actually, which depends on kind of mental connectedness, uh, people do need to be more aware. So, uh, I mean, I say that I know some people have been through various aspects yeah. of it. Yeah, Minus and I, I myself have been through it myself, but I, I decided to deal with it in a, in a lot more natural and sustainable way I as agree opposed with to you. dipping into, uh, again, you are basically uh, outsourcing your agency to an external system that you may think is very, very sustainable, but actually as soon as... And, and, and let's, not, let's not forget, man, this whole... Uh, situation this whole pandemic is being caused by something that's actually relatively mild right Mm. relatively mild because the way how bad this could be you know if this particular virus could be more deadly more immediately transferable more kind of viral in itself uh this could be like 10 100 times worse and then like what would would we have done 
right? Well, then where would you have hidden and so on and so forth? Um, and so, so even this relatively mild virus is causing this global pandemic. Uh, so so that, that idea of expecting the worst, which actually when you have low expectations, <laughs> what ends up happening is that you it's it's relatively easier to outdo them and in management the whole idea of expectation management has been a thing but what i've noticed is that a lot of like even clients you know have become very very sort of touchy feely about certain requests and things that they kind of uh, throw in and so on and 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 it's really like just kind of uh, sometimes acting a bit like babies as opposed to really facing the real um, things that need to be addressed. Most people have been kind of brushing over that and going into the vanity stuff and designing for vanity. That's why we've seen a lot of mobile phones and smartphones being kind of designed for look and feel and color. And, oh, it's like you can pick this color. Like, who cares about that? How about you give me a mobile phone that I can charge once and use for 100 days? Mm. Yeah? So I think that was, that's perfect fit inside the next team of innovation um when do we you know how much time is spent innovating on useless as opposed to useful stuff um, and i think that's a key I, issue here. yeah that's a great question i think it's like in the last five to maybe even 10 years it's been like 80 20 in the opposite way which is 80 percent on the vanity 20 percent on sanity <coughs> okay and and you know this is like a weird thing, right? Because in Dragon's Den, you would see like, they would say, you know, profit is sanity, revenue is vanity, right? So, and that's why you see now suddenly, you know, massive um, transport companies right around the world, suddenly Richard Branson's asking for 7.5 billion bailout from the government. It's like, it's not even been a week, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how much cash flow do these people have as a sort of like, um, uh, what's the word? Buffer, right? Buffer, to, yeah. to, you know, really protect themselves. The answer is either nothing or they're relying again on an external resource like the government, et cetera, et cetera, to, to be bailed out. And like, to what extent can you do that? And to what extent is that sustainable? Now I was already reading, you know, uh, pieces that are saying maybe 80% of air, airlines are going to go bust, 80%, 8-0, which maps up to that vanity versus sanity, right? It's like the vanity airlines probably going to go bust. I mean, and, yeah. the crazy thing about the financial structure of airlines anyway has always been, I think the number is that airlines have, uh, have cost 3x the amount of investor money that they've actually returned back to shareholders. So that's, that's to give you the financial thing. But in terms of innovation, actually, what I'm really liking is, I'm thinking, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation. Um, I'm not just talking about technological innovation, that's a field that you and I work a lot in, but I'm thinking also social and political innovation. So mm -hmm. one thing I've been having a look at in particular, for example, is um, the whole idea of patenting. Um, so as you know, there was recently an issue, some people have called it fake news, but there are various, uh, very official sources um, in Germany, they have confirmed that, um, that uh, there is a lab in Germany developing a coronavirus vaccine. Um, I know the uh, United States government tried to approach them to buy that out. And so for me, that just raises, I mean, again, there's also another issue between an American company and a Chinese company, both who seem to have a similar product. So 
for me, one of the issues there in the innovation is going to be our thinking about how do we um, innovate around the laws and the things in place when it's to do with human biome, with human health, you know? And I think especially in America, where I'm horrified at the health system they have, there's going to be a lot of new waves of thought about how people should deal with health because they're going to realize that health is not just another market commodity. It's one of these public utility that you just can't leave to market forces. Yeah, I mean, so here there's two words that come to mind uh, with this is that like in many respects, a lot of the companies uh, in the way that they've been operating and this is like user experience design as always and designers always having to uh, explain this and then be be sort of uh, put down in some sense, right, for their thinking, which is two words come to mind vampiric and empiric okay Uh so a lot of companies have been vampiric in their approach towards the customers like leech off uh suck the 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 life out of the customer and rinse them dry as opposed to empirically empowering the customer to grow them and transform them so that the customer can in future pay more money towards the company right and and this is now what we're paying the price of. Those vampiric organizations are proving to be empirically unsustainable. And let's see what happens, right? <laughs> uh, and that, there's, there's not, nothing more vampiric than patenting a vaccine for a pandemic and then saying only we have this and now you lot have to pay extortionate price to us for vaccinating you and curing you of this disease. That's vampiric. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do, I do kind of understand that, you know, there is a certain need for pharma labs to actually make return on investment in terms of all the research, because for every med that works, there's a lot that doesn't, but I've seen some of the ratios. And I think most, a lot of the major pharma companies um, in North America spend 20% of their revenue on R and D. So the rest is literally just shareholder profits or operations or marketing, whatever. But there's a huge amount of fat there that, that we can uh, trim out. So this is another thing here where, you know, usually people think that like R&D is a good thing, right? I mean, famously, like Microsoft has got some of the best R&D labs in the world. Mm. Like you see some of the R&D uh, projects from Microsoft and uh, and you see some of the Microsoft R&D projects and you see that, you know, they've got amazing ideas and then they don't put them into practice Mm. or the things that they do put into the practice is something that's been so degraded from the original, like user centric or people centric R&D that's ended up becoming this kind of vampiric system uh, that, that that's like really terrible to use and, uh, you know, it's just kind of designed to just suck the money out of the out of the end users, uh, and 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 that is not sustainable because hmm. the user and the person is not being grown enough to be a customer in the future as well, and so uh, so that so that R and D and research and development actually often the time is pointed towards researching and developing these vampiric type innovations okay and so that that's like the 
the the the thing that's that that's bad. Like you know, I, I was recently in Davos. In uh, uh, the first the first company that I walked into was um, Philip Morris that make mm-hmm. cigarettes, and they are committing loads and loads of money towards research and innovation on different products that people can smoke. And then it's like, how about you produce a product that grows people as opposed to degrades their health? Mm. It's like, oh, no, no, no. People are always going to smoke. Fact. Researched fact. It's like, how about, like, people go back to the caveman principle. Was caveman smoking? I don't think so. So we were were fine not smoking until the smoking companies came in. Mm. And then it's like, people will always smoke. Uh, Not necessarily. (laughs) Like you could actually commit your research and development towards stopping people from smoking and pivoting into a actual growth business that actually grows humans. Why don't you just invent a cigarette that's good for you? But they don't think like that. And so they're spending billions and trillions on research and development around how to continuously provide people with another smoking device. So, I mean, I think that you've raised a very good thing about, you know, having actually purposeful innovation and useful products. Um, I'd just like to jump into the next design company of money because there's so much to say about that. I mean, you know, the last one was all about people making products just to suck money out. But if you look at the role that money's playing today in the pandemic, it's pretty huge. And in particular, that's one topic that's very dear to me is what are, you know, what, are we do, what are companies and the government doing to actually take care of employees? And I think here the burden falls between the companies and the government because ultimately the employee trusts that company. And so I see a lot of, you know, in France, for example, they've announced that uh, employees who are, have to take time off from the company are going to see 80% of their salary covered and they'll be taken in charge by the government. Uh, fair enough. However, what about all the people that are maybe working part-time jobs that are on zero hours contract or signing something every week? I mean, essentially, I've had a look at the economic structure of all these things. And the way it breaks down is that those who already have comfortable jobs are going to have an extra holiday. And the most precarious segments of society are the ones that will suffer the most financially. And that's one thing that's not being addressed. So that's pretty scary. Um, the second thing, like all this money that's been uh, dedicated. So in France, there's been about 300 billion in bank guarantees that are going ex- to be extended. Um, and I think that's the total cost of financial measures. But okay, but did we need to wait a crisis to really figure out how to help small businesses grow and take radical measures to help them out? So th- that is my question, at least. Well, so it, it goes back again to three P's here, which in my uh, view and all my experience, those three P's ought to be planet, purpose, people. Uh-huh. But those three P's that are still being discussed is public-private partnerships. Yeah. In other words, you've got government f- siphoning money into massive corporations that are mm. called private and then they're working together to solve the problem through similar kind of toxic systems that have got us to where we are today. Uh, and, um, and, you know, when public-private par- partnerships become planet-purpose people, 
then you'll start really seeing the real money come through in a growing and sustainable way in the real sense, not in this kind of, oh, we've just pumped, the central banks have just pumped another trillion uh, into the system and lowered the rates uh, by 1% and so on. Uh, that, that's, just, that's, fi- that's like fake. Yeah, that's fake. Yeah? I mean, that's actually quite interesting what you said because I'll even go further on that. What this crisis is revealing actually is going to, I think it's going to help a lot of people take a more balanced view to money and view it less of it as a magic god because with all these um, uh, you know, stock outages in terms of masks, medical equipment, food, uh, people are realizing money is useless if there's nothing to buy with that money. Exactly. That's why <laughs> the toilet paper is worth more than money now. <laughs> That's a real thing. Well, no. I mean, if, if you have price gouging that's happening, thankfully here yeah. in France, we've had certain laws that have calmed that down. But for those who haven't heard that, ag- that anecdote, there's obviously that guy in the US that stocked up on 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer to try and price gouge on Amazon and eBay, finally got shut down, and then instead decided to buy himself a conscience and distribute it for free in his area to actually help people out. Um, by the way, I've said all these stories that involve bad stuff happening in America. I'm not particularly like prejudiced against America. It just happens that it's a pretty scary society in terms of, you know, the lack of humanity and the big role that money has taken in terms of social interaction and individualism. I mean, you see interesting things around, uh, you know, they say all the nine millimeter bullets have been sold out in U.S., uh, you know, people have been queuing to buy more guns and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and on some level, that is preparedness, right? But it's like, imagine if everyone is preparing to be an enemy, who is your friend? Yeah. Yeah? Who's Good your point. friend? So uh, the idea of self-sovereignty is one that is built on respect. And that first respect goes towards planet and the purpose of why we are alive, and then other people, and then products and profits that we choose to use and choose to make money from. Uh, so, so that money, in that sense, money can be real and good money or fake and bad money. Uh, you know, should we draw that kind of binary uh, distinction there? Makes sense. So, I mean, I think we covered money then. So, let's talk about the final theme of growth, and I mean. Obviously, a pandemic teaches us the exponentiality of certain things. So, uh, you know, what does the topic of growth inspire you in these times that we're living in? Well, first thing you should grow is your immune system. True. <laughs> and the immune system is against viruses and bacteria, right? Uh-huh. Leeches, various kind of vampiric organisms that are looking to, uh, to, to uh, survive on a host yeah, on the host that's providing the energy. So that's the role of the immune system. And, you know, you could argue that those, you know, viral and uh, bacterial organisms have been a lot of the sort of companies that, that, that have grown in fake way, right? And that now having to really uh, start to, basically they're going to have to face the immune system of, of, of reality <laughs> yeah of people who actually been um want half the money you know to to feed them anymore and uh so so real growth will mean again sustainable 
first principles growth from those things that really do matter uh, from self in internal um, well-being space so well-being becomes the first thing uh, and then and then you know everything else from there on um, and so companies were going to have to address that as a practical thing because as we were saying earlier on people were already stressed out as it was now they're facing the real stresses of implosions of the system cut downs blah blah, blah all that stuff it's like how was i supposed to like deal with life when when it's already on let's say antidepressant stressed you know taking time off or whatever not feeling good and now actually got real reasons to not feel good in in my worldview so gonna have to change my worldview to actually understand that i should be able to feel good even if i'm just walking in the park nothing just a glass of water uh-huh and then i can grow from there on <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, definitely, I think this period is going to be a very good time in terms of uh, cleaning up all the fake things that you've accepted as truth and re-figuring out what it is that actually matters, you know? So in that respect, I'm just hoping that this time where the pandemic is growing will also see an exponential growth in consciousness that is shared amongst uh, other uh, citizens of this planet. Well, you know, this is what we find and, you know, talk uh, uh, books like Spiral Dynamics uh, talk about that a lot. And obviously, uh, our dear friend and now partner, Vlad Kachlupic, who wrote about humane capital, uh, these um, teachings are pointing us towards the fact that, yes, we're going to have to go back to ourselves and start embracing some of these sustainable principles to actually build a better world for both ourselves and our children and family and so on going forward, that's healthier, both mentally healthier, physically healthier, and company, as in being in a good company, uh, healthier. So that's the kind of wrap-up of it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Well, I have nothing to add. I think it's a perfect, uh, perfect uh, summary of it. So I'll uh, see you on the next one then, I presume. Thank you very much, my brother. And thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And see you next week. Take care. Have Peace. a good one. Bye-bye.